Hey all, thank you for tuning into Women Birders Happy Hour. My name is Hannah. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone that enjoys a good drink after a long day of birding. Women have been integral to birding since it started, but we haven't always been recognized for the contributions and impact we have. Men have dominated the guiding scene, festival circuit, leadership positions, and publications. And according to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service 2011 report, in the U.S., there were over 47 million birders. The majority of these birders are college-educated, they are white, they are women, and mostly are over the age of 55. And if you put all these factors together, we create the typical birder, a white, college-educated woman over the age of 55. And that's a demographic that I often see out birding, but I don't as frequently see as a speaker, a guide, or a sole publisher. Additionally, the voices of all women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus birders are not well represented in the birding voices we hear from. So I created this show to bring in more voices. Not to say that some of the regular festival keynotes aren't great, but there is room for others. And on the show, I'm asking everyday women from all walks of life to join me to discuss their experiences, their resources, and advice that they have for others. And I want you to remember that just because you may not have experienced some of these things, like sexism or gatekeeping, doesn't mean that they aren't real issues that others face. And because some of these conversations are best had over a cocktail or a mocktail, I also create a unique cocktail for each guest in case you want to mix yourself a drink and join us for this chat. I think it's an incredible time that we live in, in which so many women are encouraged to pursue higher education. By diversifying those in higher education careers, we're able to expand what we know about the world. For example, there was a gap in bird calls because many folks weren't listening to and recording female bird calls until women were like, why not? Now there is a whole movement of recording and listening to female bird calls, and that expands what we know about the world. And I do want to mention that higher education isn't of interest or achievable for everyone at this time. But there are so many things that one can do other than college. And I'm sure you've noticed many of my guests are college educated. And as I say in my intro, birders tend to be college educated. But that's starting to change as more folks are picking up the hobby and helping us to expand what it is to be a birder. Anyways, Megan is someone who enjoys life. She enjoys going outdoors and looking at critters. She has had some really cool experiences doing just that. And a lot of the species that she mentions are up in the cold Newfoundland landscape, um, except your bird cocktail of this episode, which is Nagami heron. Nagami herons are medium-sized herons that are found in Central America, south to Peru and Brazil. They're also called the chestnut-bellied heron or hummingbird heron due to their coloration and patterns. But really, when I see them, I think they're like a giant green heron for the same reason. They have a long, terrifying bill and short legs for a heron. And they're a mixture of chestnut, shiny green, and wispy pale blue feathers with a white line from their mandible down through their throat. They're found in swampy forests, mangroves, and forest streams and wetlands. And they nest in a single or mixed species colony on bushes and trees over water. The colonies can get quite large, up to a thousand nests, although there are very few that do. They're reclusive species and prefer shade and overhanging vegetation, you know, kind of like something that you would see kayaking through swampy mangrove areas, um, and so it makes them difficult to see. And agami herons, they stalk their prey, which is usually fish, frogs, small reptiles, and snails. 
and the species is considered vulnerable on the IUCN red list due to potential habitat loss in the Amazon. So let's make sure to prevent that from happening and help protect the Amazon rainforest. So your drink, the Agami Heron, is one shot of brandy, one shot of green chartreuse, one shot chilled water, half a shot of lemon juice, half a shot of simple syrup. And it's very easy to make. You mix the uh, liquors together and then pour in the water, lemon juice, and simple syrup, give it a quick stir, and then enjoy. So this unexpectedly delicious cocktail represents agami herons, as the brandy is a chestnut color, the green chartreuse is the shiny greenish color, and after that step, I want you to take a look at the combo of those two liquors together, because it's quite exquisite. Then the chilled water, lemon juice, and simple syrup make it a little bit more palatable, um, but you lose that cool color combination. It's flavorful, herby, and lemony. I think you're going to love it. So grab a drink and enjoy learning more about Megan. Megan, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Would you please tell everyone who you are? Hi, Hannah. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I am, I guess I'd call myself a, well, I'm doing my master's right now. So I'm technically a student, but I was working as a wildlife technician or a wildlife biologist for the last two slash three, four years. Um, so right now I'm doing my master's with, I just started actually in January, I'm doing my master's with uh, Dr. Ian Workington at Memorial University on willow ptarmigan movement. And that is all the field works primarily done up in Labrador. I'm hoping to get the chance to get up there, but um, who knows with uh, COVID regulations being what they are. Um, yeah, and I've, I've had, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, a lot of different projects, which I'm super happy about. Um, and I definitely find that I gravitate towards species at risk. Um, just because I, I really like conservation and, uh, you know, that aspect of biology. So I tend to gravitate towards the species at risk. Plus, they're, they're usually pretty cute and people like them. So <laughs> it's kind of nice. Willow ptarmigans are super cute. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I would die to go see a baby. I I don't know what I would do, but it would be amazing if I could go see some babies. Um, I did get the chance to go see some Newfoundland uh, willow ptarmigan a couple weekends ago. And actually, they have a subspecies of willow ptarmigan here, um, but they're super flighty, so they took off like as soon as I <laughs> showed up. But there's always more opportunities, so. So you're not from that area. Where are you originally from? I'm actually from British Columbia. So I did my undergraduate degree at University of British Columbia, the Okanagan campus, which is kind of like a smaller satellite campus of the overarching University of British Columbia that everyone's familiar with in Vancouver. And I did my, uh, my undergraduate thesis or my honors thesis was on American kestrels. Um, and yeah, I think, I think most of my experience is probably all of it's been in Canada. Um, unfortunately, I have tried to go to the States to do field work, but um, it's a bit hard with uh, their regulations. Hiring Canadians is a lot harder than hiring, you know, domestic uh, students and workers and stuff. So. so how long have you been birding? How'd you get started? <laughs> Um, great question. I 
started probably rigorously birding in 2018. So I haven't been, you know, updating checklists and paying that close attention uh, until uh, I was working at a bird observatory. And I don't know if you know much about bird observatories, but they're incredibly competitive <laughs> with their birding. So uh, definitely got more intense when I was, uh, it was actually Long Point Bird Observatory here in Canada. And before that, I had actually asked my uh, prof just for a class um, who ended up being my supervisor, Dr. Karen Hodges. I asked her uh, if it was okay or if she had any experience for me or like if I could do anything for her biologically related. And she was like, well, you can transcribe these audio files for songbirds. And I was like, great, I don't know anything. <laughs> So it was a very steep learning curve of like trying to learn uh, calls before even knowing what the birds were look, looked like at all. So yeah, it was definitely interesting. Um, yeah, definitely a, a different experience. And then after that, I did a field season of working on dusky grouse. And then while I was doing that dusky grouse, uh, I was collecting data for my honors on American kestrels. And then um, once that was done, I went and had the opportunity of working with the university, a student at the University of Guelph with uh, Eastern Whippoorwills and Common Nighthawks. And they are the cutest thing ever and the best. Um, and then, yeah, since then, I've just been working at bird observatories. I did a little bit of consulting and I worked with the Calgary Zoo Burning Owl project that they have there. They have a Head Start program there. So I worked there one summer, which was also super cute. Baby burrowing owls in buckets is my dream. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think most intense, like, that I think rigorously, you know, e-birding, started in 2018 so only two years I've, I've got a lot to go so sure. when you've been doing these research projects like what sorts of um activities are you doing out in the field um a lot of the time it's just monitoring so a lot of the time it involves point counts or just looking for birds and writing down what birds are there um, that's probably one of the bigger aspects of the job and then there's the less um, less glamorous portion of, you know, just driving, getting up early, you know, all the other things like uh, we had to build uh, soft release enclosures for the owl, owls on the owl project I was working on. So that was, you know, more manual labor, um, a lot of maintenance at bird observatories as well. Um, and a lot of getting up early, which is why I, <laughs> I tend to work with owls and night jars you don't have to get up early just sleep <laughs> in <laughs> and get up at like one and be like okay day's starting now um yeah but it's and then there is some some element of uh you know catching birds and banding birds and taking measurements and stuff like that and it's one of the funner aspects of working at a bird observatory is you get to you know handle a lot of birds and you know, have my I have my woes with bird observatories, but I I definitely think that it gets you super interested in just the variety of birds and egg fauna that you can find. You know, it's a bit crazy to pull a woodcock out of the net or something. It just is super cool. So, how did you uh, learn the skills you needed to do that sort of job? 
Um, it was kind of, it was a little bit of luck. Um, I definitely got lucky in that I got a funding, like a, a grant opportunity to go do my first field work with the dusky grouse as a dusky grouse technician. Um, so even just having that, or, you know, I volunteered for a couple of other, uh, organizations and just like with clubs on campus, wildlife clubs on campus. And that kind of got me like a little bit more so that I was maybe a touch more competitive than other students that were applying for jobs like this. Um, but one thing I definitely recommended to a lot of people is going to and volunteering at bird observatories because once you have that you know even if it's a little bit of handling experience or even just experience with like you know knowing what measurements are taken it helps a lot when you're talking to other people about other jobs and other opportunities so yeah I, I definitely recommend to anyone who's listening to <laughs> to go look in the bird observatories because they're a great way. And they usually pay, the great thing about bird observatories too, is they usually, if you're volunteering, um, they usually pay for housing and food, which is super awesome because you're volunteering, but you're not, you know, you're not hemorrhaging money basically. <laughs> so do you go birding out by yourself? Um, not so much by myself. Uh, my partner um, is also Blair, he's also a, a birder. So usually if I go out, it's with him. Um, can't remember the last time I went by myself, mainly because I've been doing schoolwork and stuff. Um, sure. But I did, I did go before um, we started dating like uh, a lot. You know, I had a greater white fronted goose on my birthday when I um, went birding once in Vancouver. And I was super happy about that. Um, but yeah, I do occasionally go birding by myself. What does a day of birding with you and Blair look like? <laughs> Looks like getting up relatively, you know, like lazily at like seven or eight, um, and then strolling out right now it's strolling out to Kitty Vitty Lake, which is, um, now it's frozen over, but it's a lake kind of like in St. John's and it's known for its gulls basically like there was a sladyback gull hanging out over the past uh, I want to say week or so um, and it does get some some interesting uh, gull activity as well as you know the occasional duck and this weird vagrant so it, it's a great place you know I'm not super comfortable with my gulls so it's definitely a great place to like see all of the variety of gulls and kind of try and learn the difference between them that's cool <laughs> um, yeah so what what's influenced your birding like books or people or documentaries um i definitely think uh david attenborough played a role in the overall just nature loving i mean it probably would have happened organically without him but um I'd, I'd like to think that just his you know mesmerization by the natural world kind of helped spur me along um and i think uh, I definitely had some really good mentors. Like when I was at the bird observatory at Long Point, I had a female mentor that I looked up to a lot, Emma Buck. Uh, she's actually working as a game warden in the UK. Um, my, my partner obviously has taught me a lot. Um, and there's been just a lot of like people who I've gone out birding with and they've, you know, taken the time to kind of, show me the the different things and stuff 
And I also read um, Jennifer Ackerman's books. I haven't finished them, but her books are also super interesting. If you're interested in birds, they just, they're super cool. Um, but yeah, I just, I just got lucky with, you know, a lot of people who are willing to take the time and kind of show me the difference. Cause it's one thing, I think birding is one of those areas or hobbies where, especially if you're new, it can be a lot all at once, you know, especially with all the jargon and lingo, you're like, oh, I don't know, what is twitching? What is this? You know, um, it's a whole other world. So having people to take the time and be like, oh, this is what this is. And this is how you tell the difference between these two birds that really um, probably helped me a lot. Okay, well, that was going to be my next question is when you first oh, started sorry, birding. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> um, <laughs> when, you, when you first started birding, I mean, how do you find these resources so you can be successful in birding? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's definitely some great online resources now. I remember when I was first doing my uh, dusky grouse work. Uh, the technician that I was working for, um, or the master student I was working for, Kirstie Lawson, she said you should uh, download LimeWire or not? Is it LimeWire? Yeah. No. Well, LarkWire. Oh yes, LarkWire. I've heard of that. LarkWire. I like LimeWire. That sounds like something. Never mind. Um, <laughs> LarkWire. And I tried uh, testing myself on that, and I still have it, and I still occasionally use it. Um, but you have, you know, Zeno Canto, you have eBird li Macaulay Library, which is basically like hundreds of thousands of, you know, photos, like any photo you want. I also find Dendroika, the quizzes on there are super good. And I occasionally go on there because they, they always have like a funny photo or a funny sound that I haven't ever heard or seen before. And it's just a great way to test and kind of learn about birds. And obviously for in the field, like the, uh, what is the app uh, by Macaulay? Oh, Merlin. Merlin. Yeah. I don't know why I <laughs> forgot that, but uh, yeah, Merlin app is like having a field guide basically on your phone, which is just great because, you know, I don't really like to bring books out in the field with me, but I yeah, occasionally I bring the... It, it's Sorry. Been super no no it's been a super useful app i really love merlin <laughs> yeah yeah it's just uh it's it's the difference between especially with the calls on it too because i find sometimes i hear something and i'm like you know you have a book and it might show a spectrograph or something but it's different to be able to just look it up like in, within a second and be like oh yeah that's definitely what i heard um, especially out in the field, instead of being like, I think this is what I heard going back home and then going online and then trying to figure out what you heard. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of, a lot of good resources. Um, and yeah, I do enjoy contributing to eBird. Um, should probably upload more audio files than I do, but <laughs> <laughs> you would probably have some really super rare ones too because of like where you're at and like there's probably not a whole lot of birders that are up there recording those species yeah yeah no it's definitely uh the newfoundland birding community is awesome they're all super nice but there aren't a lot of individuals like there there are some very well-known individuals but it's um it's definitely a smaller community than i'm used to in british columbia or ontario like ontario's got a fairly large expansive birding community so it's kind of nice being somewhere smaller 
So what advice would you have for other women birders? I definitely like don't shy away from going out with people and, you know, going birding and just asking people to go birding. Um, I know one thing for me when I was trying, it was just, I mean, I, I lucked out in a lot of ways that when I was working, it was kind of like I was going birding just to work. So uh, I lucked out in that, but I I found that when I was home, um, you know, not doing a contract, it was like, oh, uh, do I go out by myself? And it's it's really easy to just like, even if your your friends are just naturalists and they're not necessarily 100% birders, you can go out and figure stuff out together. Um, I know there's a lot of financial barriers, but I think, you know, having a camera, even if it's a point and shoot, just to take your own reference photos and looking at those this definitely helps you in learning. I found that once I started taking photos, I was like, ah, yes, this, this makes sense. <laughs> um, and yeah, and just, you know, be careful, keep your, your wits about you for sure. Um, recent news hasn't been so polite but uh i did hear something about northern alberta someone uh got attacked and it's definitely you know make sure you tell people that you're going out um before you like go out if you are going out owling especially like uh i have gone owling alone uh, quite a few times and i mean i'm scared of bears at night especially out in bc but yeah it's always a good idea so as more experienced uh, women birders, what can we do to be more supportive and foster others and create a more welcoming and inclusive community? I think it definitely like goes back to, you know, it's good for new most birders to ask to go out, but it's also good for us to take them out. I mean, with COVID, you know, obviously there are barriers, but to go out with them and show them and not be dismissive when they ID things wrong. I find... You know, there are definitely those birders that are like, oh, she thought it was a, a this bird, you know, and, and you have to be willing to be like, yeah, so, you know, showing them the differences and how you tell and like not being judgmental in that way. I definitely think it's helpful. Um, and yeah, just, you know, trying to get them to come out too and get them involved, uh, I think really helps as well. Um, you know, what are you doing? You want to go birding? <laughs> It's always a good, good excuse to go out. <laughs> yeah, it kind of forces you to do it too and get out and go birding. More. Yeah, exactly. I know. I'm, I'm definitely bad for sitting in my bedroom working on stuff and being like, I have not seen the light of day in a couple <laughs> of days. So I should probably go outside. <sighs> I totally yeah. sit and I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing social media for birds. I'm doing this for birds, this for birds. And it's like, but I haven't seen a bird in like a week. <laughs> I yeah, probably go look at exactly. <laughs> You're like, what does they look like again? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been out. Uh, um, yeah. What has been your most memorable bird or birding experience? It's a hard question. I feel like that's probably one of the harder questions. Um, I've had some pretty awesome moments. I had a, a young nighthawk uh, when I was working on the Nightjar project. Um, a young common nighthawk land on me because I thought I was a tree or something. I don't know. It sat <laughs> on my shoulder for like 0.5 seconds and then took oh. off. Um, but I think my favorite of all was going to go see um, the agami herons when uh, Blair and I went down to Me Mexico. Um, I think I just had so much anticipation. Like I had Blair had asked me like, what birds do you want to go see? And I had like, you know, scrolled through Merlin being like, what? well, what's there? 
Um, and I saw the agami hair and I was like, oh, I want to go see that. And so I was like skeptical because they're pretty skulky birds. Um, so <laughs> he was like, I don't know, we might not. Um, and it turned out that there was just uh, a window of opportunity, like the next uh, Airbnb that we were staying at just wasn't available yet. So we were like, well, why don't we head down? There's been like agami herons posted at this, you know, nature reserve. So let's go down and check it out. Uh, and they did like tours in the mangrove. And so we signed up for that. And I was like super excited, but very hesitant because I'd been told, you know, they're kind of skulky, you might not see one. Um, and then it was like a very long uh, boat tour through the mangrove. And every turn I was like, here, this is where they are. This is where they are. Like every single turn, I was like at the edge of the boat, like ready. And then finally, like right at the very end after like an hour of like going through and I, I had already given up. I was already like, yep, yeah, fine. We're not going to see them. We're heading back already. I don't know where we are, but not going to see them come around the corner and then there's like 10 of them and they do this really cool like chittering where it's like I can't even explain it It sounds like dinosaurs I mean you've heard herons before they sound like dinosaurs so it was just like this super cool like Jurassic moment almost where I was just like wow these are basically dinosaurs you're Uh, like this is where I die via heron (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like they are all descending upon me now and I may die. <laughs> well, that's super yeah. cool that you got to go see that species. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm super psyched. <laughs> so if anyone wants to find out more about you and the thing, the cool things that you do, um, how would they find out? Um, so my, uh, well, I have Twitter, I'm not as active on it, but I, I'm definitely on Twitter as well as Instagram, um, probably where they post the most content. And you can find me just at Big Bird Megan, um, M-E-G-A-N. It's just Big Bird, like Big Bird. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the handle for both my uh, Twitter and uh, my Instagram. So and yeah, reach out. I don't mind answering questions. <laughs> Well, that's super cool. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. And it's fun to talk to you. And I want to go see a willow ptarmigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, I think this year they're pretty abundant. They seem to be coming down pretty far. So, that's so you cool. never know with the snowstorm. <laughs> well, thanks, Megan. Yeah. Thank you. Megan, I so look forward to seeing all the willow ptarmigan shots that I know you're going to get while you're out there doing your really cool work. And thank you for being on my show and sharing your cool experiences. And thank you all for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me on the socials, please follow me at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you at the next happy hour.